Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. I believe there are so many real aspects of Sean's story that God knew that many needed to hear today. I just want to take the next 20 minutes, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, give you one principle of discipleship and one closing application. You good for that? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The church in Corinth was a pretty messed up church, and if you've looked through 1 Corinthians before, you'll know they had a ton of problems. And just like Sean shared in his story, they needed God's truth in those problems. So that that was Paul's ministry to them, supplying them with God's truth. Paul spent 18 months in Corinth focused on nothing but helping these people follow Jesus and planting this church in Corinth. Paul wrote them at least three follow-up letters to try and encourage them in God's truth because their behavior was redonkulous, if I can use that term. Four years after leaving Corinth, Paul writes them the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter to correct sexual affairs, to correct chaotic worship services, to help them to see that the Lord's table that we just observed is not an opportunity to get drunk or to treat it like a buffet, to stop taking Christian brothers and sisters and dragging them to court, suing them because they can't forgive one another? How do you understand the gospel that God forgave you with all of your sin and mess, but you're still dragging your brother to court to try and get every last penny out of them because you can't forgive them? Paul's giving them this truth trying to help them in their Christian experience. Now, here's here's one of the issues I think we run into. We turn discipleship so quickly into behavior modification. You need to act like a good Christian boy or girl and make sure you're sitting in the service on Sunday. You're a good Christian. There you go. Just, Just get your act straight. Just behave like a, look like a Christian. That's what we turn discipleship into so many times subconsciously because we live in a physical world where our five senses remind us all the time that this is everything. This is our experience. Everything I touch, taste, feel, smell, hear, this is our reality. But the truth of scripture is There is a reality outside of this physical reality. So the point that I want to make this morning about discipleship, the principle I want to make is that discipleship is supernatural. It's spiritual. 1 Corinthians 3, are you there? Let's look at verse 1. Paul says, but I, brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh infants in Christ. I had to treat you like babies. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. Even now, four years after I was in Corinth, you're still not ready for it. 
We talked last week about being faithful in discipleship through the difficulty, through the discomfort. And I said, if everything in life was easy and comfortable, then we would all be underdeveloped, immature babies, wouldn't we? And this is what Paul is calling the church in Corinth. Paul doesn't mince words. Do you ever feel like that in your discipleship? Like, look, I just started the journey. I don't have all the answers yet. How am I supposed to disciple somebody else? I'm just learning this stuff for myself. Well, the reality of discipleship is it really doesn't matter how far you are on the journey. What matters is the direction of your journey. You see, to be a follower of Jesus Christ means just that. You are following Jesus Christ. It means your whole life, every aspect of who you are, is oriented towards Jesus Christ. And even if you've just started that journey, you can help the people who are considering starting that journey. You just have to be a step or two ahead or maybe even right beside would be perfect to say, hey, I'm just figuring this out for myself. Why don't you make the decision to trust Christ and come along this Jesus journey with me and we'll figure it out together. Isn't that discipleship? You don't have to be at the finish line hollering with a megaphone, you can do it, I did it. Don't miss the turn by the apple tree. That was a tough one. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is, let's do this together. I don't have it all figured out yet. You don't have it all figured out. That, that's great. Let's do this together. Let's do the Jesus journey together. Paul says to the church in Corinth, you're weak, you're immature, not because you're new to the faith, but because you're focused on the flesh. You're not following Jesus. You're following your fleshly desires. You're doing whatever feels good. Look at verse three. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Do you remember the series we did two falls ago, Be a Good Human? Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good to... Act justly, thank you, Steve, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. See, you got it, yeah. That is more than physical. That is deeper and less superficial. There's, there's, there's a depth to that, but Paul is saying you are acting merely human. You're acting in the flesh. You're acting as if you were only a physical human body looking for physical pleasure. And you know what that looks like? Galatians 5.19, let me read it for you. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Nasty comments on Facebook. Passive-aggressive quips in the office. Road rage. Impatience at the checkout at the grocery store. Some of this is extra biblical. I hope you saw where the line was drawn there. You're behaving only in a human way. You know what this church was arguing about? Who's your favorite celebrity pastor? Oh, you follow John Piper? Well, I'm more of an Andy Stanley man myself. Oh, you came to faith through the preaching of Billy Graham? Well, actually, I read the works of Martin Luther and John Calvin and so. Oh, you follow Paul? I follow Apollos. Isn't discipleship about following Jesus? 
It's like social media, clicking that follow button, getting instant notifications on what's going on in people's lives. It's like the die-hard New England Patriots fan. I don't know if that's a thing around here, but it was in New Brunswick. They've got the little sign in the driveway, New England Patriots parking only. <laughs> They've got Tom Brady's autobiography in the bathroom next to the toilet where all men do their reading. They have Coach Belichick quotes on the wall. Who are we following? Who are you following? Curtis, I hope I didn't call you out there. I apologize, buddy. <laughs> For Paul to say you're behaving merely human, that would imply that there's a preferred way to live. There's a better way to live. If living merely human is not the way to go through life and to follow Jesus, then there's got to be another way, right? You see, we're not just human flesh and bone. We're not just thoughts and reasoning and senses. We're not just personality and consciousness. We're not just a mistake from chemicals in some evolutionary process. We're actually spiritual beings. The spiritual part of us is actually the eternal part of us. The spiritual part is that eternity that God has placed in our hearts from the book of Ecclesiastes, from King Solomon, the part that was designed and created for a relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 4.16, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day after day. There's, there's a greater depth to who we are as human beings. We're not just flesh and bone. But that causes a dilemma. If all we see around us is this physical reality, we're reminded every day as we step outside and we smell the fresh air, we grip the steering wheel, we see the turns, we hear our coworkers, we taste lunch, we're reminded that this is a physical reality. How do we disciple the spiritual part? How do we make this more than just behavior modification and being a good Christian and doing what's expected? Here's the thing, I can give you a peace sign, but I can't give you peace in your heart. I can give you a hug, but I can't produce love within you. I can give you a high five, I'll give them out after the service, I promise, but I can't create a well of joy welling up and springing up inside of your life. I can't do that. Discipleship isn't just this, this physical human experience. There's a spiritual aspect of discipleship that needs to come into the equation. Discipleship happens supernaturally. It happens spiritually. How do you help me follow Jesus? Well, here's the reality. You can't. On your own, in your human strength, you cannot cause me to follow Jesus. You can't argue me into it. You can't persuade me into it. You can't force me into it. Discipleship goes beyond this experience in the natural world. It happens supernaturally. So the question is, what's my part? What role can I play? What can I actually do or is it just hopeless? Thanks a lot, Pastor Josh. Here we are, week five of Discipleship Series, and you're telling me what's the point. Look at verse five. Here's the point. What then is Apollos, and who is Paul? 
They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul's saying, what did we actually accomplish for you to follow us? Did we save you? Did we die on the cross for your sins? Did we create you? Are we your judge? No. We are just the medium through which you heard God's truth and received salvation. I want, us, I want us to get this word deep into our hearts. We are servants through whom you believed. Through is a Greek word, and it means across, to the other side, back and forth, go all the way through, successfully across. I get the picture of a cable ferry. In the town that we lived in, New Brunswick, we lived on the Kennebecasis River, there's all these cable ferries that go back and forth. If you punch it into your GPS from Fredericton, it'll take you across two ferries to get to our old house, which was not the quickest route. But you could stand down on the edge of the river, watch that ferry come across, and there's guys driving off on their bicycles and motorbikes, and there's vehicles crossing, and there's people with their pastries and their veggies from the market on the Kingston Peninsula. There's people traveling with their boats and trailers on their way to their cottage to mow the lawn for the weekend. Now, what if I were to say to you, it's a pretty incredible ferry, isn't it? I mean, they build bikes on that ferry and then deliver them on the other side of the water. Or on that ferry, they, they bake pastries. They create them right there on that ferry. Or somewhere on that ferry, they have a field where they produce all this vegetables because when that ferry gets to this side, all of a sudden, it produces all this stuff. How does that work? Well, you'd say that's ridiculous. The stuff got onto the ferry on the other side. The ferry's just simply carrying it across. None of that stuff comes from the ferry. The ferry's just... Bringing it across. I'm not talking about a, uh, like a tooth ferry. I'm talking about a cable ferry, you know, you drive your vehicle on. I want to show you something this morning, something absolutely incredible. And, and you're not going to believe this. I don't believe it myself. I don't know. There's some magic to it or something. This is not just any ordinary Tupperware. Let me tell you the story, and you're not going to believe this. Most days when I look in my fridge, this little Tupperware is perched on the second shelf and it has a red lid, which is easy for me as a man to find in the fridge. <laughs> you're, not, you're not gonna believe this. Um, when I open this up, this blows my mind. Sometimes there's apple pie in this Tupperware. And then here's the crazy part, no, there's more. The next day, or maybe the day after that, I'll go in the fridge, the same Tupperware, same spot, and I'll open it up. <laughs> Roast beef and gravy. And the next day, fish and chips, which, which isn't so good after you refrigerate it, but you throw it in the frying pan. Or it'll be out on the counter. I don't know who this, I, I really don't know how this works. It'll be out on the counter and, and I'll pick it up near to where we have our bread and our onions in the corner there. And banana bread, already buttered. I don't know how it does that. Or there'll be Chocolate chip cookies, like my mother-in-law makes. Incredible, isn't it? I'd, you gotta get yourself one of these. I don't know where you get a Tupperware like this, but it's, there's some magic to it or something. I can't believe how it works. Paul says the Lord assigned this gospel ministry. The Spirit gives the gifts. Jesus gave his body and blood 
We're simply the medium through which you get the message. We're just the Tupperware that's holding the truth of the gospel. There's nothing special about us. God has entrusted us with this gift and we're simply passing it on to you and he's doing the rest. Let me explain further as to why this is a supernatural process. Paul gives the picture of a tree. Look at verse six. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I referenced this verse last week. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. It was definitely work, like we talked about last week. It was hard. It was difficult. Paul played a role. He planted a seed that he didn't create. Apollos played a role. He, he planted water that he didn't produce, or he watered the plant. But it's God who actually causes the tree to grow. Have you ever tried to cause something to grow? Anybody in the room would admit they don't have a green thumb at all? And everything you touch just dies for some reason? Even though your friend told you that those little hens and chicks that sits on your windowsill, you can't kill it like one of those cactuses, and somehow you killed it? I planted three maple trees in my yard this past week. They were already on the property. I dug them from the back and just brought them to the front, dug big holes, make sure there was no rock but good soil underneath. I added a lot of fertilizer, put them in, put the dirt around them, made sure not to go too high up the trunk. Everything I learned when I worked at Farmer Clem's back in the day, I watered those things and watered those things, and now the rain's watering them. There came a really critical point where I walked away from those trees. And I went into my house and I left those little baby trees out there overnight in the dark. I didn't even watch them. I slept that night. I didn't stay awake thinking about them. Because there's a point in the process where we have to realize God has to give the growth. Because I can't force it. If I try and force it, I'll probably quench, quench, I don't know if quench is a word, uh, quench what the spirit wants to do in their life if I try and force it myself because it's their decision. Growth. God gives the growth. It should be encouraging to us, shouldn't it? Sometimes it feels as though our efforts are useless, like we try in vain, like, like we give the best possible argument we can through tears and passion and and it doesn't seem to get anywhere. Or we're praying for years and years and years. Maybe it's a child you're praying for. And God, why have you not got a hold of their heart? And we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. And it just feels like, what's happening here? It, it's almost like they're, they're worse than they were before. And I've put all this effort in and all this planting and all this watering. God, when are you going to give the growth? You can't force it. You can't force it. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Causing someone to grow spiritually is nothing that we can do. It's a work of God through his spirit through faith alone, by grace alone, in the, Son of Jesus, in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, alone. And when we receive the Holy Spirit at that moment of decision for salvation, he is the change agent through which God begins to transform us 
from the inside out. That's James's story. I worked with a little guy in grade four named James, like, oh man, 13 years ago. Every Tuesday, I dreaded walking from the church facility to the Christian school facility and working with this little guy, James. Partly because I was only 21, I didn't know how to deal with grade four boys. I'm still not sure how you deal with a grade four boy, but James wasn't interested in being there. I wasn't interested in being there and trying to get him to focus on English and math or engage in conversation at all was like pulling teeth and he made it clear that he didn't want me there and my attitude probably made it clear that I didn't want to be there and I dreaded Tuesdays with James. Fast forward five years, James is one of the biggest encouragements in ministry. He's got a different attitude. He's got a different mindset. He attends youth group. He runs the soundboard on Sundays. He's inviting his friends out. His life has changed from the inside out. Could I see it five years earlier? No, I didn't want to spend any more time with that kid because it was frustrating. And I've told him these stories, which is why I feel I can tell you these stories. But the truth is God did a work in his heart that I couldn't do. And it took some time and I couldn't see it initially. I don't know if those maple trees are going to grow. They look pretty withered up and decrepit at the moment, but only time will tell if those trees are going to grow. God gives the growth. We water, we plant, God gives the growth. There's another reason Paul gives as to why discipleship happens supernaturally. Look at verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul shifts from a tree to the picture of a building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care as to how he builds upon it. For no one, get this, this seems pretty impossible right here. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? Did you lay that foundation? You see, Jesus is the last Adam who corrects the sin of the first Adam. God initiated this plan of redemption. Jesus willingly came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose again to give us new life. That foundation has been laid. Did you do that? Did I do that? You see, God is the alpha and the omega. That means he's the beginning and the end. That's not just of creation, but also of the redemptive story itself. He initiated the plan of redemption and he will accomplish the plan of redemption. And in between those parentheses, we are to plant and water and plant and water and plant and water. But God started it and God will complete it. It's up to God. Our duty and our responsibility is to give the truth of God's word in the picture of planting seeds and watering. But ultimately, it's God who's going to give the growth and accomplish the mission, but he chooses to do it through us. Let's make one final point in this supernatural discussion. You are not just a physical, mental emotional being. You are spiritual. God designed you that way. 
Your spirit is the immaterial part of you that will exist for all eternity, that part of you that's able to relate to God. Look at verse 16 and 17. Paul says to this church that is five and a half years old, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The Jewish temple began as an instruction from God to Moses as the people were traveling through the wilderness, and it was called the tabernacle. It was a tent. It was something that could be picked up and moved to the next location. It housed a number of things, and one of them was the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of the presence of God. So as they carried this tabernacle, and as they carried the Ark of the Covenant, it was a picture of God's presence with the people. Then when they came to the Promised Land, after years and years, Solomon built a physical temple to house the Ark of the Covenant and for the worship of God. Well, today, as Paul says, you and I are the temple of God. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. God's spirit, God's presence dwells within us. That's pretty personal. That means we are the house of God. Growing up in church, I always heard people refer to as to big rooms like this as the sanctuary. And then on Sunday, they would, they would welcome everybody by saying, welcome to the house of the Lord. Well, that's kind of theologically incorrect because we are the house of the Lord and we can have a church service out in the back property or at Farm Lake or at the Bird Hospitality Center for breakfast on a Saturday morning or at Moncton at one conference as the church. And this is just a big room that we get to meet in with lights and sound and seats. We are the church. I don't know if you noticed on the front of our new church directory, there's a picture of this facility. I think the angle is from the maintenance building. And if you look closely at the picture, I don't know if this was strategic or not, but I was just thinking about it this morning as my kids were flipping through the directory. The picture is a mosaic made up of pictures of our church family. So when you look at the building that many of us would describe as the church, It's actually made up of the people who are in our church. Because the church is people, isn't it? I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I think there's a good picture there. You are the house of the presence of God. God's Holy Spirit dwells within you. Paul refers to our body as the temple. Any change to our outer man, our outer appearance, what the rest of the world sees, even though God looks at the heart, It's brought on by transformation in the inner man. It's God's spirit transforming us from the inside out. In that regard, for us, discipleship is impossible. Think about your lawn. You cutting your lawn this time of year? No mow may is over. So now we're cutting. And all those dandelions, aren't they the first ones to pop up after after you cut the lawn? Doesn't that grind your gears? I cut the, (laughs) Kathy's saying no, it doesn't bother her at all. It bothers me a little bit. So I'll go out and I'll mow it again. Well, guess what the first thing to pop up is? You can can 
pick at those weeds all you want. You can pull the flowers off. You can pull the leaves off. But until you get the root out of the ground, because that root is substantial. It's bigger than the plant itself. It goes deeper than the grass. Discipleship's got to be so much more than behavior modification. If we try and clean the fish before we catch the fish, the process isn't going to go so well. Change in the outer man starts with transformation in the inner man, and that's not something that you and I can force or coerce. God's spirit has to be working within people to translate into a change in the outer man. You see, it's, it's the conversation of the root and the fruit. If you look at Galatians and you read through the fruit of the spirit, what the, what the inner man, the, the spirit of God in your inner being, what it produces in your life, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those things stem from the root of God's spirit in your life. So this conversation can't start with the fruit. It's got to start with the root. You can't try and get rid of all the evil symptoms of sin in somebody's life and never speak to the source of sin itself. And in that regard, discipleship is spiritual. It's not just behavior modification. It's not just acting like a good Christian. It's not just getting your act together, dropping the alcohol, dropping the cigarettes, dropping the one-night stands and making sure you're in church with a tie on and a collared shirt and you had a shower that morning. Discipleship is so much deeper than that. It starts by the power of the spirit working in the inner man. And that's not something that you and I can do. But we can plant the seed and we can water and we can give room for the spirit to move. We can refuse to quench the spirit, to grieve the spirit by giving people God's truth as Sean shared. Think about the rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10. You know the story. He comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus lists off some of the 10 commandments and he says, I've done all these. Did you hear his initial question? What must I do to be saved? Just give me a three-step plan. Just give me something easy. See, his mind is focused on the physical, on the fleshly. He's not thinking about the spiritual. Jesus says, one thing is lacking. Go and tell all that you have, give it to the poor. And then he goes away sorrowful because his possessions are great. Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, see how hard it is for a rich person to come into the kingdom of God. It's as hard as a camel going through the eye of a needle. And the disciples' response is, but Jesus, that's impossible. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. With man, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. You see, that's the spiritual element of discipleship that we really need to consider. That's the big change factor for real transformation, for supernatural bondage-breaking, spiritual warring kind of freedom and new life in Christ. It needs to flow from the spirit in the inner man. We can't force it. As God's fellow workers, exercising the gifts he's given, planting and watering, being the medium through which God's message is heard, God is the one who supernaturally gives the growth in the person's inner man. So here's a final thought. Here's where I want to close. Here's one practical takeaway. The word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 12, what does it look like to plant and to water? Why do we do that over and over and over and over again and not see the growth in the short term? Why would we stick with it? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I'm trying to learn and grow and develop discernment in my life. I don't find that I'm naturally gifted socially, so I struggle to know where people are coming from and if they're being real with me. God's word doesn't struggle with that. God's word cuts right to the heart of the matter, dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. When you give somebody God's word, what does that mean? It means you share a Bible verse with them. You read the Bible with them. You could give them a Bible. You could show them how to download the YouVersion Bible app if they don't have a Bible, but they have a phone that they use. You can give them the called to follow booklet, the sent to serve booklet, the equipped to grow booklet because it gets them getting into the word of God. And here's the thing. Once the word of God gets into them, the seed has been planted. It's time to water. And God promises, my word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Isn't that freeing? Like if I thought that every Sunday I had to get up here with a really cutting edge creative presentation of what God wants you to do this week, and I gauged that on the change that I saw in people after they heard the sermon and were walking out the door, I would feel like I failed every single week. Sometimes we have good conversations on the way out the door, but it's hard to gauge life change after a single sermon in a moment's notice. But God's going to give the growth over the long haul. And that word that's been planted in your heart, I had a conversation on Friday after doing chapel at the Christian school. One of the high school students came up and said, uh, that thing that you shared, I remember you sharing that at Blomden Bible Camp in 2018. Like five years earlier. And I thought, holy cow, I don't think I talked to you once that week. But God's word was planted in your heart and somehow you didn't forget it. Can I encourage you with that? You don't need to know all the answers. You don't need to be at the end of the Jesus journey. You don't need to be most mature Joe Christian. You just need to give people God's truth. You can be as ordinary as a little plastic Tupperware. And you can be a vessel fit for the master's use. Let's pray today as we close. God, I want to thank you so much for who you are, for your word today. God, we stand and rest on rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ, on your word, on the power of your spirit, on the redemptive plan that you set before the ages. God, we thank you for this supernatural spiritual aspect of discipleship. God, we need to be planting and watering, but we need to leave the results to you. People need to make a personal decision for Jesus. We're not going to be the ones standing next to them in the end days in the judgment saying, we did all we could to lead them to the Lord. They are going to have to stand and give an account for their own faith and their own relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So God, help us to be faithful in planting, in watering, 
in being the medium through which you communicate your life-changing, loving truth to this world. Our world needs truth. They need to know your love. Help us to be the conduit through which that message gets to the ears and the minds and the hearts of the people that we interact with on a daily basis. God, we thank you for all you've done for us. Help us to be disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.